This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of tibial shaft stress fractures from the knee and sports section on orthobullets.com. Let's start this episode with a quick summary. A tibial shaft stress fracture is an overuse injury where normal or abnormal bone is subjected to repetitive stress, resulting in microfractures. Diagnosis can often be made on radiographs alone, but MRI studies should be obtained in patients with normal radiographs with a high degree of suspicion for stress fracture. Treatment is activity restriction with protected weight-bearing in most cases. Surgical intramedullary nailing is recommended in the presence of an anterior tibia tension-sided stress fracture, otherwise known as the, quote, dreaded black line. Now, let's get into the episode. With respect to epidemiology of tibial shaft stress fractures, in terms of demographics, these injuries are commonly seen in runners and military recruits. They are also seen after changes in training routines. Moving on to etiology, the mechanism of tibial shaft stress fractures can be secondary to linear microfractures in the trabecular bone from repetitive loading. The pathophysiology of tibial shaft stress fractures involves callus formation, woven bone, and endochondral bone formation. Moving on to the presentation of tibial shaft stress fractures, as far as history, patients typically report a change in exercise routine. The onset of symptoms are often insidious, and symptoms are initially worse with running than patients may develop symptoms with daily activities. On physical exam, patients will have pain directly over the fracture. Moving on to imaging, recommended views on radiographs include an AP and a lateral of the tibia. As far as findings, the lateral x-ray may show, quote, a dreaded black line anteriorly indicating a tension fracture from the posterior muscle force. Other findings include endosteal thickening, as well as periosteal reaction with cortical thickening. Findings on technetium-99 bone scan include focal uptake in the cortical and or trabecular region. Finally, in terms of MRI, this modality is replacing bone scan for the diagnosis of tibial shaft stress fracture and is the most sensitive. Findings include marrow edema, and the earliest findings are on T2-weighted images, specifically periosteal high signal. T1-weighted images show a linear zone of low signal. Now, let's end this review session talking about treatment of tibial shaft stress fractures, which can be non-operative or operative. Non-operative management includes activity restriction with protected weight-bearing, which is indicated in most cases. As far as non-operative techniques, be sure to avoid NSAIDs as this may slow bone healing and also consider a bone stimulator. Operative options include intramedullary tibial nailing, which is indicated if the, quote, dreaded black line is present, especially if it violates the anterior cortex. Remember that fractures of the anterior cortex of the tibia have the highest likelihood of delayed healing or non-union. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic might be tested. First question. A 20-year-old distance runner developed proximal tibial pain six weeks ago. Initially, it was only painful while running, but she now has pain with walking. There is no knee effusion. The radiographs are normal. MRI shows marrow edema and periosteal high signal on T2-weighted images. Which of the following is the most appropriate initial management? And the choices are 1. Protected weight-bearing with crutches. 2. Switching to elliptical for lower-impact exercise. 3. Prescription anti-inflammatory medicines. 4. Arthroscopic surgery and five, open reduction and internal fixation. The correct answer to this question is one, protected weight-bearing with crutches. So tibial stress fractures are relatively common overuse injuries that can often be difficult to treat. Differential includes medial tibia stress syndrome or shin splints, periostitis, 
infection, bursitis, neoplasm, exertional compartment syndrome, or nerve entrapment. Other comorbid medical conditions, including the female athlete triad, need to be carefully evaluated and treated. As Young describes, non-operative treatment with protected weight-bearing is the standard, but surgical intervention may be necessary if symptoms are not responsive to initial non-operative treatment. For shaft fractures, intramedullary nailing may allow return to sport, but does not guarantee healing. Plain radiographs are usually normal early on, but with time may show periosteal reaction, new bone formation, or even a distinct fracture line. The typical postromedial stress fracture is considered lower risk, whereas the anterior or quote dreaded black line stress fractures are considered higher risk. Ishibachi showed that MRI was better than bone scan for evaluating these injuries. Moving on to the next question. A college football player has progressive leg pain for over six months and is no longer able to run and has failed all modalities of non-operative treatment. His radiograph shows a linear lucency over the anterior tibia. What is the next most appropriate step to quickly return him to play? And the choices are 1. Tibial intramedullary nailing, 2. Posterior tibial plate with bone graft, 3. Bone grafting alone, 4. Cast treatment, and 5. Protected weight-bearing with crutches. The correct answer to this question is 1. Tibial intramedullary nailing. So the patient has a stress fracture of the tibia. Non-operative treatment with protected weight-bearing, cessation of running, and possible use of a bone stimulator is useful early. Once the radiographs show the fracture, especially in the anterior cortex of the tibia, surgical treatment is often recommended. This location is uncommon, but at increased risk for non-union and propagation to complete fracture. An intramedullary nail would allow for fastest weight-bearing and return to activity. Anterior tension band plating has also been described, but not posterior. The paper by Varner et al. reports on a series of 11 athletes treated with a reamed intramedullary tibial nail for chronic anterior stress fracture. The average return to sports was four months. Moving on to the next question. Which of the following stress fracture locations has the greatest likelihood of delaying healing or developing a nonunion? And the choices are 1. Anterior cortex of the tibia. 2. Posteromedial cortex of the tibia. 3. Distal fibula. 4. Inferior femoral neck, and 5. Third metatarsal. The correct answer to this question is 1. Anterior cortex of the tibia. So the anterior tibial cortex is a tension-sided stress fracture and reportedly is a problematic area to heal. Conversely, compression-sided tibial stress fractures usually heal without a problem. This is true on the femoral neck as well. While second and fifth metatarsals can have problems with delayed or non-unions, Third metatarsals generally heal well. And moving on to the final question. A 17-year-old collegiate female track runner reports leg pain for three months that was insidious in onset. Radiographs were unremarkable, and an MRI demonstrates increased marrow edema. A bone scan reveals increased uptake in the tibial diaphysis. What is the next appropriate step in management? And the choices are 1. Protected weight-bearing for 4-6 to six weeks. 2. Immediate return to sport. 3. Tibia intramedullary nailing, 4. Long leg casting, and 5. Biopsy of the tibial lesion. The correct answer to this question is 1. Protected weight-bearing for 4-6 to six weeks. The history of an athlete with an insidious onset of pain is highly suspicious of a stress fracture. The incidence of stress fractures in runners may be as high as 20%. 
To quickly review, stress fractures result from excessive repetitive submaximal loads on bones that cause an imbalance between bone resorption and formation. An abrupt increase in the duration, intensity, or frequency of physical activity without adequate periods of rest may lead to an escalation in osteoclast activity. Technetium bone scan is highly sensitive for detecting stress fractures but lacks specificity. An MRI is also valuable in identifying stress fractures when the clinical diagnosis is in doubt. If plain films are normal but the level of clinical suspicion is high, a trial of rest and evaluation with serial radiographs is appropriate. A rest period of four to six weeks of limited weight-bearing progressing to full weight-bearing may be necessary. Bowden et al. reviewed stress fractures in adults, including appropriate diagnosis and treatment methods. They reported that failure of symptom improvement with rest is highly suggestive of the need for operative intervention. Ota Fukushima et al. reviewed 370 athletes with stress fractures and found that the tibia was the most commonly involved bone in 49.1% of cases, followed by the tarsals in 25.3% of cases and the metatarsals in 8.8% of cases. Patients who waited more than three weeks after the onset of pain to be evaluated had prolonged recoveries. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 2, immediate return to sport, is incorrect as this is not indicated as activities should be limited. Answer 3, tibia intramedullary nailing is incorrect, as this is not indicated without initial conservative treatment with this patient's findings. Answer 4, long leg casting is incorrect, as this is not indicated for this type of stress fracture. And finally, answer 5, biopsy of the tibia lesion is incorrect, as no indications for biopsy are noted in this scenario. That's all for this review about tibial shaft stress fractures. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on orthobullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the OrthoBullets website or mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the OrthoBullets podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Also, if you aren't already, be sure to follow OrthoBullets on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube for daily high-yield content. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow right here on the OrthoBullets podcast.